0: and welcome to weather geeks i'm dr marshall shepherd from the university of georgia and i I can't contain my excitement Uh, my guest today i've been a big fan of for many years he's a songwriter he's a musician professor of the arts at johns hopkins university ladies and gentlemen thomas dolby you may remember his song she blinded me with science but she he has so much more uh awesome music let's talk a little bit about what you've been up to from your days as a pop music icon to a Silicon Valley executive to an academic. Tell us about that transition. You know, at the end of the 80s, I got sort of disillusioned with
1: the music industry, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was making my music on a computer, the same computer that my fans had, and then the internet came along, sure. and I thought, all I have to do is, you know, hit a button, and... but it didn't happen overnight, you know? It's, it just seemed to take forever to happen, so I got more into the technology, right. and I was living in California, and I moved to Silicon Valley uh, in the early 90s, I got fascinated by putting music on the internet and I had a company, a startup company, and I became an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley for about 12 years. Right. Uh, during that time I was doing almost no music. I was the musical director of the TED conference when that really got going right. uh, in California. But aside from that, I wasn't doing any of my own music. and, and um, So my company, Beatnik, uh, ended up putting the synthesizer in all of those
0: Nokia cell phones. So that, that annoying little ringtone, that was us. Ah, so, so you think about ringtones, and you might be wondering, well, why is Thomas Dolby on Weather Geeks? We're going to get all into the science of his music. He has a really particular fascination with weather, climate, and environment. We're going to get into all of that. and in fact, I, I want to kind of go there right now in terms of weather, climate, the environment, how has that influenced your songwriting and your music? It's a big deal for me. It's always been a big deal because I don't write those sort of relationship
1: songs, you know, about text message breakups and, <laughs> and uh, all the rest of it. Um, right. I've always been very strongly influenced by the environment that I'm in, uh, by the atmosphere, uh, by geography. Um, and by the weather. And it's just been a fascination of mine since I was a kid. I went to one of those English boarding schools, all boys out in the country. Oh, wow. you know, so where, all, Now,
0: where did you grow up?
1: Uh, my father was an Oxford professor, yes. and I grew up outside Oxford, and I went to a boarding school in the country. And right. um, uh, uh, my favorite uh, pastime there was, I was the meteorologist. Oh, is that uh, right? Yeah, we had, uh, we had a little station at the top of the playing fields, and on those frosty mornings, I used to go out there and take the duke and. You know, hot and cold temperatures, right. and uh, uh, I love that stuff. Yeah. Wow.
0: So yeah, and I and you know, I've, I've listened to your music for some time, and many of your songs. I mean, you can see the influence of weather and climate, or what various things. Talk to us a little bit about some of your songs. I've got a list here uh, of some of the songs. Um, for example, Wind Power, Airwaves, yeah. Flying North, Weightless. Uh, tell us a little bit about how those songs were
1: inspired. Yeah, I mean. I was really into renewable energy before that was even a I mean, thing. Because
0: this was like the mid 80s? Early 80s, Early 80s. yeah, yeah. In
1: 1980 I wrote Wind Power. Yeah. And uh, I just had this dream of, of you know, because in the British Isles, we got more wind potential sure. uh, than anywhere else in Europe. we got like a third of the potential wind power in Europe. And I dreamed about you know wind farms out right. in the sea. And, in the early 80s. In the early 80s. Now guess what I see out of my window yeah. over Turbine. there. Turbines. Yeah, turbines. Wow.
0: What about uh, Mulu the Rainforest? I was listening to that coming in. That's, that's off the yeah. Flat Earth album.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the title of a book that I saw on the spine of a book, you know, like in a, a bookshop one day. And um, I just thumbed through it and it was all about this indigenous culture in Indonesia uh, who believed in dream time, this sort of alternative reality. Yes and uh, the Rainforest Mule was at risk of being flooded by a dam that they were putting in. And a very noted BBC scientist called David Bellamy was out there protesting uh, against ah. this, the flooding of this rainforest, and that's why I wrote that song.
0: Now, I, I noticed that uh, in my notes, the producers put in I Love You Goodbye, which is off the Astronauts and Heretics album. One of my, it's probably my favorite song by oh, you, sorry. and it talks, it's got a lot of weather imagery in there, because it's talking about typhoons, and uh, the, uh, tell us a little bit about the inspiration for that song, because it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, so
1: I have a really good friend who moved to New Orleans uh, from Los Angeles, sure. where I lived in, at the end of the 80s, and uh, we went on a road Road trip uh, in this beaten up uh, Datsun uh, out across the bayou and uh, I was really into Cajun music at the time and, and I was just it was just becoming possible to record remotely so we stopped in the back of a little music store in, in like Crowley Louisiana <laughs> wow. and every time I turned around there was another musician was there with with another you know a squeeze box or a, a banjo or something and I was recording them all to put them on my tracks and um, in the end, I left him there and moved back to California. And so it was, I love you, goodbye, was this, uh, the sort of note to my friend. But I have to say I got in a lot of trouble for that, because I, I tend to write lyrics that rhyme and that scan sure. without really doing my research. Sure. And so there's stuff in there about the Everglades as well as the Bayou. Sure. And people would write and complain to me, you know the Everglades are Everglades actually in, in Florida. Florida. Everglades yeah. right. in yeah, I And that. I talk about the county sheriff who had a hair lip and they're saying, we're parishes here, not, right. not uh, you know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah no, I, I noticed that. But I mean, again, creative license. Yeah. Uh, Let's move to, I mean, there was a study done by streaming service Spotify and it talked about that the type of weather can influence the type of music that people listen to. Um, Do you buy that and in turn does the type of weather or the environment you're writing in influence you in some ways in terms of your mood or your perspective?
1: It's a huge influence on me, yeah. I think the first thing a songwriter does is they look out the window, you know, and so it's gonna, the weather's going to be reflected, and, and it does affect your mood in a, in a very big way. And, and in the British Isles, more than most places, because you know five minutes go by and it's changed dramatically. Yeah. It's so random there. You know, exactly. there's no weather patterns really there. It's just complete chaos. Well,
0: I was going to ask you if there are any particular favorite weather types or patterns that you enjoy or like to write to, or just inspired by or interested in? Well, I have to tell you about where I live in the UK, okay. which is on the East Coast
1: in a very remote village that has a population of 23.
0: 23?
1: 23, uh, 23 wow. people. No pub, no shops. It's very low-lying. It's at threat from the rising sea levels. and. Uh, You know, there used to be a land bridge to Europe from from England. You could walk to Mm -hmm. Holland, One, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, But so we're shrinking, and the bridge shells are tipping. So we're basically doomed. Yes. And um, so that's where my home is. Oh, wow. And uh, my studio is in the garden uh, of my home there. And there was no point in me building a, a lovely recording studio that would just get flooded. So I decided to build it on a boat, on a lifeboat. And I scanned eBay for months, and I finally found the perfect lifeboat and I brought it to my garden in Suffolk in England, and I took out the diesel engine and put it in a bank of batteries and a turbine on the mast and solar panels on the roof, and I started making music.
0: And and I I want to talk to you a little bit more about that in the last break. Uh, But when we return, perhaps known for his song, She Blinded Me With Science, Thomas will tell us what he thinks of those who are actually blind to science. Okay, it's time to commit. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are talking with Thomas Dolby. Pop icon, recording artist, artist, Grammy-nominated, and also, uh, we learned in the first segment, a weather geek as well. We're going to bestow that term on you. And his book is called The Speed of Sound, uh, Thomas Dolby, a memoir. Tell us a little bit about your book and what was the inspiration for this book so it's really the fact that
1: you know i grew up in in london in the new wave era so what was in the headlines was stuff like the sex pistols um electronic music was very hard in the late 70s early 80s big machines that didn't stay in tune and they were expensive and bulky and very hard to record and um i was just always a diy fanatic you know so i would just find a way to you know, solder these things together and make bleeps and blips with them
0: and turn them into music mm-hmm. somehow. You've really always, in all of your music and all of your songs, talked about technology and, yeah. and, and science. Uh, what really got you into science? Was it something as a kid or just curiosity
1: or...? Well, I'm a bit of a bluffer, really, because you know, I, mean, I, I didn't have a lot of, uh, sort of application at school you know, for science and math and those subjects. I was always into poetry, into art, into languages. Um, but when I started making music, you, know, this, you have to understand, this was an era of New Wave when the, the pin-up stars were people like Adam Ant and Simon Le Bon and sure. Sting. And I wasn't going to compete in the poster boy stakes. And so I thought, well, actually, I'm I'm kind of a geek, you know. I'm not sure if we had that term in those sure, days. Sure, we, but... we've
0: embraced it here. Okay. At Weather geeks.
1: Um, I was a boffin. We, you know, they used to call me a boffin. And um, I thought, well, if I'm going to be a scientist, I'm going to be a cool scientist. So you know, I need a hot Japanese lab assistant and a cool vintage motorcycle, and uh, maybe I'll connect with some of these mad scientists from the BBC, people like Dr. Magnus Pike. This is the early days of MTV and music videos, so I started writing storyboards, you know, for my my videos, and um, I just sort of fell into this scientific image, and people picked up on it. It was, you know, very it was sort of a meme, you know, of its day, right? Because it was so different from other stuff that was out. There was a catchy song,
0: a catchy look, and it all caught on. Right now. I I know you've done quite a few things in your recording and also with your company and others. Is there one particular technology or innovation that you're most proud of as just an individual? I don't
1: really consider myself a pioneer. You know, I was an explorer more than a pioneer. I just tended to work in areas that were undiscovered because when you dive into an area like that, you have to be creative because there's no rule book yet. You know, so you can really express yourself in those areas. So, whether it's electronic music, whether it's music videos, later music on the web, then cell phones, virtual reality, games, those kinds of things, I get most stimulation from working in an area where I
0: don't really know what the heck I'm doing. (laughs) Right. Now, interesting, like the weather community, everyone has access to weather data and weather models now. The same thing with some of the recording and music technology, mm-hmm. things like GarageBand on certain platforms and whatnot. What are, what are your thoughts on this era of music and what do you tell your students at Johns Hopkins? I have mixed feelings about it. On a certain level, it's great that it's so accessible. Now,
1: you know, it's very rarefied when I started out, so you had to be a bit of a nutter, you know, to go into it. But nowadays, everybody has got, you know, apps on their phone for 99 cents that are capable of making music. Right. The bad news is the moment you come up with something, there's 10,000 other guys somewhere in the world that have come up with the exact same combination. Yeah, and... So it's, it's harder and harder to seek out, you know, a way to keep the rarity and the preciousness of the music.
0: Tell That's us right. about the life. You mentioned it earlier. It's called nutmeg. The nutmeg of
1: consolation. Okay. Yeah. So, my garden in East Anglia in England is very low-lying. If the ocean level rises a couple of meters, we're doomed. You're doomed. Your okay. home as you mentioned that earlier. So, you
0: pay attention to climate oh, change. Absolutely.
1: Then. Yeah. So, I had this idea that, you know, when the floods came, I would rise up like Noah and float off into the sunset sure. making my music. Um, so I found on eBay this lifeboat that was a ship's lifeboat. I brought it to my garden and I took out the diesel engine and put a wind turbine on the mast and solar panels on the roof and a bank of batteries under the floor. And so now I can work late into the night using nothing but renewable power. And while I'm working there, I'm staring out across the North Sea and these massive container ships uh, Float around in the North Sea, and when the light is just right, they look just like floating cities. Right. You know, the containers are stacked up, it looks like the Manhattan skyline. So I came up with this concept for a sort of alternative dystopian future, when the only place that's cool enough to live is on the hulls of these abandoned ships heading towards the North Pole. Wow! And this became a concept to my album, A Map of the Floating City, and also a network game. Right. And so, all around the world, I had players playing this game. And uh, where can they? Can they?
0: Can they get access to that now? Uh, no, it, it's over. Okay.
1: Uh, unfortunately now, but thousands of people played it, and they would win the rights to download the songs from the album as they went along.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that you do really pay attention and care about climate change. I want to get to something that's really interesting in contemporary times. The second album or one of your albums is called The Flat Earth. Mm there are a lot of people now that are they're flat earth societies and people talking about the earth is flat, but I get the sense that you wrote that song and that album from a different perspective than is obvious. Tell us about it. It had a sense
1: of irony to it, That's yeah, right. yeah. I don't actually believe in the flat earth. Sure. The idea of the flat earth society in 1983 or whenever it was um, represented to me just sort of dreamers that hang on to outmoded concepts, you know, out of a sense of romance and poetic license and so on. Um, I saw a tweet the other day that was something along the lines of members of the flat earth society are all over the globe.
0: <laughs> I thought that was a pretty the was irony a pretty good of one. that. Yeah. Now, but what do you think? Is that a classic example? These people that believe in the flat earth, if you will, or that we never went to the moon, are they blinded by science or are they ignoring science? What are your thoughts? I think they're blinded,
1: really. I think there's a willful sustainment uh, of disbelief, you know, in in these these ideas that are just they're convenient, but, you know, as you know, it's inconvenient to face up to the truth. Right. And I think we've got to face up to it. Right. Um, and we've got to do it rapidly because time is running out, you know? Are,
0: are, you, are you mostly hopeful or pessimistic about, or do you believe science and technology will dig us out of some of the holes we're in? I'd love to be optimistic. Yeah. I
1: can't be that optimistic. I, don't, I can't, in my heart, I can't feel that optimistic about it. And I look at my kids, and I just think we've messed things up so badly, right. you know, but I mean, we've got to do what we can. And if there is hope, it's with the scientists, it's with the geeks, because heaven knows the politicians <laughs> and the religious leaders aren't going to solve it.
0: Right, we're gonna, we're, we, we try to kind of have conversation with all of those folks here on Weather geese. In 30 seconds or less, what's next for Thomas Dolby? Mm.
1: You know, after everything that I've done through my career, I sort of feel that the best thing I can do now is try and pass it on, try and pass on some of the the experience and hopefully the wisdom to a new generation of kids. So I'm teaching a degree course at Johns Hopkins University and we're focused on the next wave, which is really virtual reality, augmented reality, all sorts of immersive worlds and how can sound and music play a part.
0: Look around, you can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail.